human emotion is a thing that can bring us together or tear us apart. Pain, anxiety, sadness, and the events that create them isolate and weaken us. But when we speak about these things together and truthfully, we find we relate to our humanity through our difficulties, and we realize we are not alone. In that, we find strength and the ability to not only change ourselves, but others, individuals, and even large groups. The psychology of resolving racism comes from that bridge of understanding. It comes from empathy. And in this way, we resolve racism, discrimination, and begin to stitch together what has been torn apart. Our ability to connect with and work better with each other. My name is Dr. Raymond Abdurrahman. I'm a clinical and consulting psychologist. I'm an executive coach and a professional speaker. Join me and my guests in the unvarnished and honest conversations about what make us different people. These conversations will change our thinking, our feelings, and ultimately the way we behave and engage with each other. These conversations are the missing piece to resolving diversity, equity, and inclusion issues. This is the Different People Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the last episode, episode 10. Season three of the Different People podcast. Once again, I have the lovely Sana Mahboub, Senior Communication Advisor to Western Economic Diversification Canada and Executive Board Member to the Association for Fundraising Professionals. Welcome back, Sana. Thank you so much for the conversation you had with me in our last podcast. Thank you for having me back. Uh, it, was, uh, it, was, it was very insightful to have that conversation left me with a lot to think about. So thank you. Looking forward to carrying this on. Yeah, thank you. You know, we started the podcast, uh, our last episodes of the podcast, talk about getting messages across or wanting to get a message across. And one of the former guests, Dr. Gregory Pennington, also a consulting psychologist, said that in order for us to be able to get the messages across, we've got to be digestible. And uh, that's something I struggle with. How do you feel about that? As people of color, that is. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess I could take it in a, in a few different ways. Can you tell me why you struggle with it, by the way? I mean, I think he's accurate. We do have to be, and I think it fits the message, actually. My parents often say, you know, you can't push too hard. My mother's always like, you're saying too much. I am impatient, though, for change. I'm tired of, of having to sit through some of the difficulties. And I'm tired of making myself small as a person of color to be digestible. But, you, but he's right. It's almost like we can't be too pointy, you know? Yeah. So I have to say that uh, I'm 50-50 on this. My mother also will very much say, and my sometimes, sometimes, the odd time my brother will say the same thing to me, that, you know, you're, you're too angry, you're too grumpy, you're too this, you're too that. But there are times where I'm fuming mad. I shared this story with you a long time ago when we, when we first met, but you know, I was sitting in a parking lot at Superstore and some woman just decided to 
parked next to me and started calling me the B word because she just, and she was like, look how close this, you know, hitch is part is, is parked next to my car. And I'm like, you park next to me. I don't get it. And it was at that fourth, you know, bitch where I cannot be suddenly I'm, I don't care about being an ambassador. Suddenly I don't care about a lot of things because you're calling me out of my name. And now I feel like I need to tell you about yourself and perhaps do it in a way where you don't feel comfortable seeing another brown woman, seeing another person, you know, just woman, like forget me. This could have been my mom. This could have been your mom. This could have been, you know, any one of like an indigenous, like anyone. Mm -hmm. And so she felt very comfortable, just felt very comfortable saying, look how close this bitch is parked (laughs) to my car. Whereas to be very clear, I was parked there. She pulled up next to me. Right. So, and, and the parking lot was fully empty. So park anywhere. So I shared that experience with my brother. And of course he was like, ah, oh, Sana, you know, and, and you sh- just should have maybe just calmed your temper down. My brother does work for the justice department. So he has way more patience than perhaps an average human being does. He's a mm-hmm. good human and of course he's going to give me great calming advice Um, but in that moment I was livid I was pissed off Uh, not just because she kept calling me that but because she clearly is the type of person who's going to feel comfortable calling anyone that right so we had words we exchanged words and and she you know went on to I don't know just I don't think she'll be doing that again so it reminded me of that story but the part where you said you're just tired of making yourself small it remind and it, if my voice starts shaking it's because I'm irritated that, like about this but when we talk about making ourselves small I'd love to be able to say I've never had to make myself small this society is so you know accepting of who I am but that's not the case I you know, I talk about my old job again, I vividly remember being in a, in a room full of colleagues, the whole department, and there's our very senior executive level leader, who's the boss of this entire department. So we're in this meeting and and this executive goes on to make a casual statement about, and I quote, I can't even make this stuff up. Oh, I just find curly hair, super unprofessional. And you know, in, in that moment, I was like, did I hear this right? But of course I did. Cause you know, when a leader talks, people listen, and this is why it's so important for people to watch what they say, especially in leadership positions. There was just this, like, I was, I was taken back and I, there I, I made myself small, right? I did not speak up of what would I possibly say, right? What could I possibly say? Cause this person who has an influence over my livelihood is making that statement, and the next day I, you know, getting ready for work and I st- stood in front of the mirror thinking, hmm, you know, should I, do I put my hair up in a bun? Do I, mm. it? do I, you know, like, what do I do? So sorry. I'm just like, so <laughs> mad. It's like frustration, right? Of this course. is just super frustrated about why, why would anyone say that? So I get it being digestible. (laughs) I don't know. I, there's, there's a time and place for it. 
but it's, but not a hundred percent of the time. I wish I was able to speak up and say something. I do not regret saying something to the woman in Superstore who came at me. I'm you so know, sorry. But, oh, well, thank you. Me too. Right. Me too. It's just, it's, it's a memory. It's, it's happened years ago, but it's, and I bet you that person doesn't even remember saying it, but I do. I remember what the weather was like outside. I remember just how I felt in that moment and turned hot top down. I remember like sitting there and just sweating, right? Like your just whole body is just like, what? Okay. So on the other hand, I also know that to make a bit more of an impact and to make people understand you, you have to, you have to give them digestible bite-sized pieces, right? This is just going at them. And that's breaking ourselves into, and this is what makes me impatient. It's about breaking ourselves into smaller pieces. Like our identity keeps getting broken in. So, because not, not only are we making ourselves digestible for other people or our message digestible for other people, but we are also, we're breaking up the cohesiveness of, of our identity. And when we're not cohesive, it's more likely to slip away, right? So might be digestible for somebody else, but who we are is broken apart. Oh. Diane Rusin earlier in the podcast, I mean, I learned a lot from what she said she talks about the first thing she wanted people to know about who she was, was that she was Anishinaabe. Yeah. And she's like, I want people to know who I am and see my culture because it's the first thing I want them to see. And that's the part, right? Is just in order to make change, it's frustrating to be, it's frustrating to put yourself down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And tied to that, I think, is this concept of getting it, right? Like people, it's hard for people to get what we're talking about. So you've mentioned a couple of good examples. I can relate to what you're saying. I knew what was happening there. But many people would say, well, what if that woman was just being difficult? And what if your leader wasn't talking about, you know, maybe that wasn't a racist statement about curly hair. Well, why do you think people might not get that those might have been racist things? The first thought that comes to mind is because they did, they don't live it. They don't live, they don't have the lived experience. And if there is people, if there are people listening, maybe who are thinking that, I promise you, I did an inventory of who in that room had curly hair, me, and who didn't, everybody else. Yeah. Yes. You do an instant inventory of the room when you walk into it. I think one of your other guests were speaking of that as well. And it's true. And, you know, going back to what you just mentioned about Diane, Diane has a special place in my heart. She's a good, dear friend of mine. And I, she is proud and she is bold and she is amazing. And she is everything that is right with, with our community. Right. So I love the way she carries herself. And I too, I feel like I too, if I could walk around with, you know, like Pakistani shirt, I would. But in the moment when I'm called out by the senior executive in my old job, I'm shrinking and I'm just like, and it's impacting me, you know, for, for years after in a certain way. So, well, there's a strong emotional labor in being able to explain, explain those subtle nuances that it's taken years for us to pick up. Mm -hmm. You know, I think many of us, you and I talked about 
being immigrants. I'm an, I, I was an immigrant. I don't know if I would say I am an immigrant now. Initially, you kind of tolerate that because you expect yourself to be different. You expect yourself to be small. You don't see this as your country. But after you stay here long enough, you're like, no, this is my country. This is my home. And I'm being treated like this isn't. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, oh, gosh. Like, this is, now this is like bringing back childhood memories of like, you know, I had a very, very happy childhood. Like, just, you know, my parents were ridiculously loving. My brother was, you know, he's only two years older than me. So we're very, very close. You know, we had just surrounded by family and uncles and aunties and grandmothers. And then one day at the tender age of nine, my parents were, you know, and I understand why my my dad initiated the move to Canada. I, I wholeheartedly understand it. He made the right move. But in that, at that childhood moment, you're just plucked out of your happy little world and you're implanted into this other world that is just different. Everything about it is different. And whether it's the tiniest little things, like when I was in you know, school in, in Pakistan, I would ask, I, I would speak to my teacher and call her teacher. I would, didn't even know their names. Moved here and suddenly it's Mrs. Bedams, Mrs. Berkowitz, right? Like we're calling them by their name. Oh my God, the disrespect, right? Or when we, when I moved here and it was, you know, we had to bring in shoes because you can't drag in snowshoes from outside. That's not something we deal with in Pakistan. And so all those tiny little bits, oh gosh, my first day of class. And I remember being introduced to grade five and the teacher's like, all right, class, this is Sana Mehboob. She's in, it's November, right? Students are already deep in, in class and, and have had the chance and opportunity to get to know each other. And there's just this giggle all around the room. And I just still remember it. And in that moment, like I didn't get it. I thought, uh, oh, what a friendly class. They're giggling and they're happy to see me, not knowing they're giggling at my yeah. life. My last name, the word boob doesn't even exist in like the Pakistani culture. I didn't even know what that means, right? Mehboob yeah. means sweetheart in Urdu and Hindi and Punjabi. So it's uh, it's just these tiny little shifts. And I don't know how I kind of got on this little bit of a rant over here. I forget what the initial question was, but. This podcast is all about rants. <laughs> I, I like them. <laughs> Keep them coming. Keep them coming. Getting back to what you said about, like, I understand why people may have treated me differently back then because you know, I was adjusting, I was coming from a completely different cultural background and, and practices and all and it wasn't that I didn't speak English, I spoke English, I, you know, Pakistan's also colonized went to a British school over there, right, the works. So it wasn't that but when I see an inequality now in my 30s, it has a physical impact on me I'm very patient with a lot of things, but it has a physical anger inducing impact on me. Yeah. And, and I think that's where it's really important for people who don't have those experiences to listen when people do speak, uh, when people don't get it and you're repeating it and you're not getting paid for it. God, it's exhausting. And no one has the time. You and I, you and I have dealt with a mutual situation where trying to, you know, just in trying to help out have been trying to help some leaders and some organizations try to get a message and it's consistently missed. And, and the people are well-meaning, like the people are absolutely lovely and kind and I think have no bad intention. There's no intentional racism at all. But I think there is a reluctance because people often feel like they're being attacked or, 
you know, and, and I think a lot of that comes from a lack of hearing what the message is. Yes. I think the common theme between the situation, the mutual situation that we've had in, in that particular case is the common theme seems to be in your right. People are lovely and amazing and it's, it's just impossible to not feel some level of warmth towards them. I think the common theme between each and every single one of those understandings is that people are listening or reading an email to just simply reply and not to comprehend and understand or even ask clarifying questions. Maybe it's us. Maybe we're not relaying the message clearly enough for the seventh time in a row. Maybe it's us, but yeah. And that's the, that's where I think the digestible piece is very frustrating. People of color and activists often talk about the emotional labor of being able to do this work. It is a lot of work. It takes a lot of awareness. It takes a lot of insight and it takes a lot of emotion and being able to talk about this. And I'm not sure that that's often recognized. And so that's where, that's where being small and digestible is not my thing. Yeah. You know, I, I believe in the concept of appropriate communication and articulation. I mean, that is my game. I use language to help make change. That's all about it. But that's one thing. Being small is another. Yeah. So what would you recommend as a communications advisor for people of color? How would you, what are some of your thoughts in trying to help people Mm. relay a message, advocate for themselves? I would say that, And, you know, by no means is my answer going to be a uniform answer for every situation, every single person, because sometimes you do need to be in someone's face and with your messaging. And sometimes you do need to be digestible and have something in between. So this answer is not a blanket answer, but I can tell you that I have found more success in communication, more success than not when I just simply keep in mind how the person reading or listening is going to be interpreting that message. Yeah. Mm. So, you know, and, and you and I have had some emails exchanges with folks and there's so many times, you know, I've drafted a reply and deleted it and drafted it and deleted. And there goes that part about emotional labor and the time consumption of it. It is so time consuming. It is exhausting to approach a difficult situation with keeping the other person who's making the situation difficult, uh, being considerate of that person, even though they may not be being considerate of you. Honestly, sometimes I'm just like, I'm just going to walk away from this because this is just too much. It is exhausting. It's so time consuming. You have a life. I have a life. People listening have a life. Who really has the time to sit and commit to trying to get the message across. But then the fear is that if you don't get the message across and you don't rely, reply, then suddenly you're not a proper advocate for your community or you're not a proper advocate for. Uh-huh. And this, this is the piece, right? So I think the majority of people are just people. Nobody wants to take on a fight. Nobody wants to take, nobody wants to be the David to the Goliath. Nobody wants to do that. And so most people of color will just, it's easier to take, to go to work on your day off. It's easier to just try to quote unquote fit in. So when people aren't giving you that message, it doesn't mean it's not a need. 
number one. You know, and this is a message for leaders listening. When people are giving you that message, they have broken a lot of barriers to get there. And it's not just a regular communication. It, it, It might sound polite. It might sound well put together, but it came from a great deal of emotion because they had to overcome a lot to be able to say it. And so that message needs to be heard and given the time to dissect and questioned. And it is up to leaders, frankly, who are not racialized, leaders who are not a people of color. And this is a hard part, right? How do we have, because the majority of leaders are white mm-hmm. and we yeah. need leaders to make a change, yes. but they don't get it. No. So how is it that we get the leaders to make the change when they're not getting it? And that's where the listening game comes in. Right. That's where that internal work comes in on my in my perspective, that leaders and all leaders, regardless of whether you think this is going to issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion are going to show up in your workplace or not, or in your organization or not, you've got to learn how to pay attention to this. Because moving forward, we live in a super diverse world. Yeah. And it's only going to get more diverse. And if you don't work on that internal work yourself, you'll turn yourself into a dinosaur and you're going to create huge rifts between you and the people who work with you and for you and your organization is at great risk of collapsing. Very much so. Very, very much so. Nailed it. If you guys, whoever's listening, please rewind and listen to that again. And then again, because that's the message that needs to be heard. Um, Thank you for saying that and putting it together so perfectly. With my work with the Association of Fundraising Professionals, I'll touch on the philanthropic aspect of yeah. Exactly saying, right? Leadership and just taking the time to listen and digest what is being told to you. Many of, as you say, the, we live in a very diverse world. Winnipeg is, is expected to touch, you know, a million citizens in the near future. And guess what? Your donors to the philanthropic sector, for example, in this case, your donors and the communities you serve, many of them are going to be people of color. And if there's, if there's even a slight sniff of, oh, this uh, organization is not very, you know, diversity inclusion friendly, I promise you those donors are going to pull their funding. So mm-hmm. when you talk about organizations collapsing, yeah, there's a real life example, but, you know, this could be applied to any, any organization. <sighs> yeah. <sighs> Deep breath. <laughs> To me, this is, this is the actionable item. If you're listening to this and you don't have that lived experience of what it feels like to be a marginalized person, uh, even if you do, but your intersecting identity doesn't cover the whole basis. If you're a leader, you plan to be a leader, like get yourself some coaching, get yourself some work. You know, it's not just about a one-time education. It's about an ongoing education. It's not one training. This is ongoing internal work. And you got to be honest about it. You got to be able to talk about what it is your beliefs are. And you can't be scared about messing up. Because if you're scared about messing up, you'll stay so tight that you'll, and and you will, you will become what you don't want to come across as a presumptuous person who's making assumptions based on bias. And that's not, that's not, may not be what, yeah, it may not be what those people are may not be what you, what you want, but it is how you're going to come across if you don't move forward and lean into that work. 
So I have an example of, uh, of a leader who gets it, right? We're speaking about getting it and leadership positions. An example is we both know Liz Choi. She's a dear friend of ours and she's a leader in her organization. One day she sent me a text message asking me or giving me some context as she has a staff member. He's Pakistani. He's not feeling well. So he's going to be off for a little while, but she wanted to do something for him. Right. But, and she was going to send him just bag of groceries or just some food but she didn't want to send him you know something like she's like Pakistani chances are he doesn't eat pork I probably won't send him a bottle of wine so what can I possibly but above and beyond that I want to know what Pakistani dishes are I want to know what you eat on a regular basis at home so I can send him a care package that would be culturally appropriate of course I gave Liz like a long list of things to choose from but just the simple fact that she went above and beyond she you know her sending her staff something anything is considerate it's kind it's meant well but going above and beyond and doing a little research pausing to reflect on what this person may be the most appreciative of seeing that person for who they are that's what Liz did she contacted me a Pakistani resource And based upon that research and feedback, she delivered a care package that would have been, that was that much more meaningful. So there's an example of someone who gets it. Yeah, absolutely. That's a wonderful example. And a wonderful note to end on something really wonderfully positive. Sana, thank you so much for joining me and for helping uh, me close out season three of the Different People podcast. It was a real pleasure to have you on board. Thank you, Abdulrahman. The pleasure and honor was mine. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's my pleasure too. Look forward to season four coming up soon. Don't forget to like uh, this podcast, rate it, comment, uh, give us some feedback and share this uh, with your network because this is how the message of becoming more inclusive will become a part of everyday table conversations, both at home and in the workplace. Thank you so much for joining us and listening and tuning into the Different People podcast. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for sitting with us through this conversation. The Different People podcast was made possible through collaborations with committed and talented individuals. This includes post-production by JonathanLay.net, graphics and web design by Mukhtar Jundi of MJ Designs, and of course, the wonderful guests that make these conversations about diversity equity, and inclusion possible. If you'd like to learn more about myself, my work as an executive coach and professional speaker, and an expert on diversity, equity, and inclusion, visit leadwithdiversity.com.